1: Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you on this Tuesday evening. If you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, we'll be taking calls throughout uh, throughout the whole show tonight, actually, because uh, I know we have a couple of guests that you're probably going to want to talk to. So we're going to build that into the show to make sure you have an opportunity. So if you're a first-time caller, feel free. If you've called a million times, feel free. <laughs> I think you're going to want to talk to these guys that we've got coming up. And our phone number, 833 4825 valdes Now, there's a bunch of news out there today, and we're going to get to all of it uh, slowly but surely. But there's a, there's a few things that that stuck out to me today. One of them is the fact that Our president, Joe El Baboso Biden, is in New York City. And you would think he's going to hang out with all his Democrat pals. But you know who he's not hanging out with? Elite Eric Adams. That's right, the mayor of New York City. These guys are at odds. And uh, as far as I know, there's not going to be any meeting of the minds between Joe El Baboso Biden and elite Eric Adams. And uh, I would love to have been a fly on the wall if there was a meeting, right? I could just imagine. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, we need help. We got too many illegal immigrants. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. I got hurt legs. And, you know, some sort of uh, other platitudes that he would put out there to uh, deflect from the fact that things are going crazy. I saw a video. I either somebody sent it to me on Instagram or I um, scrolled across it. But fascinating video. It's uh, one of these many, many people that are down at the border reporting. And the video shows a bunch of people. Um, I guess they're called asylum seekers today. Uh, Others call them uh, migrants. I'm going to call them illegal aliens, right, or soon-to-be illegal aliens because they were still on the Mexico side, and they're trekking, and they're trekking, they got backpacks on. And then they zoom in, and the guy starts asking them questions, and he's speaking to them in Spanish. And they all have their backs to the camera, and then they turn around, and none of them are Hispanic. And and he says, oh, where do you come from? And visibly you could see that they're all Asian. And he's saying, uh, where are you from? Where are you from? They don't understand a word of what he's saying. And he says, uh, China, Chinese. And then they all shake their head yes. And it was just fascinating. I mean, it had to be at least 150, um, just men. It was just young men um, of of apparently Asian heritage. And it just goes to show you that there is a free-for-all at the southern border. This has nothing to do with uh, everything the Democrats and and the progressive liberals will tell you about the – Northern Triangle and how we disrupted things and we went and messed things up in South and Central America and now we have to pay the price for disrupting their country. They have to come here. <laughs> and and that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, even if it did make sense, ask for money. You need money? We got to go fix something? Let's go fix it. Doesn't mean we have to give you a home. Absolutely insane. But anyway, these young uh, Asian men are there trekking and trekking and trekking. and And it makes me think, we, you know, a couple of weeks ago we saw it with uh, a bunch of men coming from the, the continent of Africa, northern Africa in particular. Um, now we're seeing it uh, from Asia, right? And it looks like China in particular. And this to me is just like, wow, hold on a second. You know, it's one thing to be charitable with your immigration policies. It's another thing to just say that you're – you're securing the border while you're really just letting in massive amounts of people from all over the place. for what purpose? Now, I, we all can speculate. I speculate that they want to have more people in the district, so that these districts these dris, excuse me, take two <laughs> so that these districts can uh, say they have more people and therefore ask for more money. But there's more. There's got to be more to this idea that we're just going to open a door to absolutely everybody, because lamentably. This country is paying a price for that. So I can only imagine what a conversation between Joe El Baboso Biden and uh, good old elite Eric Adams would be like. Uh, We're also going to get into some conversation on this new universal voter registration, because today the governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, he says, well, we're going to register 100 percent of the people. One hundred percent of everybody is going to get a ballot. Uh, They're going to be eligible to vote. And now you are registered to vote. And now you can go and uh, just go ahead and vote. And I think this is problematic because it's never worked that way. Right. And it it hasn't ever worked that way, not because somebody forgot or because somebody overlooked it, but because voting is something that you have to actively go and do. Right. You go and you register to vote. And once you're registered to vote, then you actually go and vote. There's a little bit of work involved. And I think it should be that way. And again, you can make the argument that I'm old and antiquated and I don't want to help people. But I believe we are doing a a grand disservice to anybody when we're just automatically registering them. Now, the argument will be we want to increase civic participation. However, the grand problem here, in my opinion, would be if a third of people in the country never vote. They've never voted at all then why would we register these people? Because on election day, you're going to have a third of the voting universe that would not have voted, that are registered to vote. Now, again, the argument's going to be, well, at least now if they want to vote, they can, they can, they can just show up and do what they got to do. And eh, wrong. The, the reason that's wrong is because when you don't register, you're not going to vote. When you do register, you typically are going to vote. If everybody's registered, at the end of election night, which should be one night, not a whole month, but whatever, you're going to have all these registered voters, people who had no intention on voting anyway, and now it opens up the room, uh, it makes room for fraud. Because people can go and use so-and-so's name and go ahead and vote. Or say, oh, these people haven't voted by 7 p.m.? This is the list of people that are registered to vote that haven't voted. And if there's a GOTV, get out the vote effort, you can go and knock on those doors and say, hello, it's time to come and vote. And they go, no, 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 I'm good. I'm walking the dog, shampooing my hair, and I got to take the garbage out. I'm good. I don't want to go. Now we now know that we have this vote available if we are corrupt individuals. And as we've heard in the past, and if you haven't ever seen the documentaries on PBS or ever spoken with somebody from Texas, in South Texas, there's these gangs of groups, uh, gangs of people, these groups of people called... Politiqueras. Many of them are older Hispanic women that go out there and buy votes. And the most elaborate schemes they've pulled were to just when ballots are bulk dropped, mail-in ballots or absentee ballots, they have a deal with the post carriers, the, the USPS workers. And they would get the entire package of these ballots for people to be able to do mail-in voting. So this is um, obviously problematic, and the FBI has been on this, and they've arrested many people over the years for, for this. They're called politiqueras, with a Q-U. And uh, if it's happening in Texas, it can happen anywhere. If we increase the amount of registration everywhere, then guess what happens? We potentially can increase the amount of fraud. Makes nothing but sense. Anyway, I wanna jump into a little bit of conversation on a few different things. Um, What's going on with the prosecution of attorneys? You know, just because you represent Trump or anybody else that somebody may not like, we're now going to go after you and your lawyer so that you don't have any defense or so that future lawyers will say, no, 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 I'm not touching this guy. I'm not touching that case with a 10-foot pole. And remember that whole Nexium um, sex cult scandal? I want to get an update on that, too, and we're going to do that straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Again, our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
2: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have, I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very
1: much.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, Familia, welcome back. And we're going to jump into a number of topics here uh, with somebody who's uh, an expert on a lot of these topics. Uh, He is a Harvard Law School professor emeritus. He's written... uh, I don't know, a ton of books. (laughs) You see him on TV all the time. He was part of the O.J. Simpson uh, defense a million years ago. This is uh, a legend in the legal world, and he's our guest right now. Professor Alan Dershowitz, welcome, sir.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I want to get into this uh, Nexium scandal, your new book, and lots of other things that I want to discuss with you. But I want to start off with an article that you wrote in Newsweek. And it's fascinating because I think it... It, you're, you're pointing out a legal problem that you say is dangerous, and I agree that it is. Yeah. But I feel like it, it's incredibly underrepresented in, in everywhere, whether it's conservative media, any media. I don't think there's enough people talking about how we're attacking the actual rule of law and the, one's ability in their Sixth Amendment right to defend themselves. And uh, the title of the piece in Newsweek, is, in Newsweek is Prosecuting Lawyers for Their Legal Representation is, a dangerous, is dangerous to Us All. And um, I I couldn't agree with you more. So walk us through it a little bit.
3: Lawyers are terrified today to take controversial cases. They know that if they represent people like Donald Trump or Keith Renary or uh, others who are unpopular, unlike people are gonna come after them. There's an organization called the 65 project, a group of radical McCarthyite lawyers who have as their goal to try to discipline this bar, any lawyer who represents people they don't approve of. So when they first came out and announced what they were doing, I announced that I would represent anybody for free, any lawyer who was targeted by the 65 project for representing people like Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump, I didn't vote for him, but I defend his rights. As soon as I announced that I would represent anybody who was targeted by the 65 project What do you think they did? They filed the bar complaint against me. Now, once you have a bar complaint filed against you, you can't represent people in states other than the one you're licensed to practice in. And so by filing this complaint, they have made it difficult, maybe even impossible, for me to keep my promise to represent people who are being targeted by the 65 Project. It's pure old-fashioned McCarthyism but it's worse than the original McCarthyism. Why? The original McCarthyism was brought to us by old people. It was about the past. It was about did people have communist or socialist affiliations in the 1930s. The new McCarthyism is about the future. It's about young people who are gonna be our future leaders, young members of the bar who are going after, people who represent clients they don't like. So it's a great, great danger. I think the new McCarthyism can easily become the new Americanism if we don't stop it.
1: Professor Alan Dershowitz, when we look at something like this, it, to me, this seems like a very, very, very dirty legal trick to try and slow you down and for, for their own legal benefits. There's no
3: question. I mean, it grew out. Yeah. It grew out of the fact that I filed um, as of counsel, just a consultant in a lawsuit, which was challenging, Arizona's method of counting ballots by machines that refuse, the companies refuse to subject their machines to adversarial testing. They say, look, we're private businesses, but they're not. They're doing the government's job of counting ballots. So I consulted on a case challenging for the future the use of machines unless they're willing to subject themselves to adversarial testing. And as a result of that, this bar charge has been filed against me. I did obviously the right thing. Um, you're supposed to challenge things that may endanger the accuracy of elections or the credibility of elections. So I'm proud of having done that. And now, you know, again, they're, they're coming after me and they're coming after others. I can afford to fight back, and I am fighting back. Now, but a lot of lawyers can't fight back against these bar charges. Um, they have to get out of the business of practicing law or they have to just. You know submit to whatever the 65 project wants them to submit to, and that endangers everybody, because you know you never think you need a lawyer until you need one. And uh, right. you don't want a lawyer who's terrified by bar associations or the '65 Project or others who are coming after them. You want a lawyer who's prepared to fight for your rights and not have to be concerned about their own status as members of the bar. And that's exactly what the 65 project is trying to do.
1: Now, shouldn't there be, or are there, my question to you, safeguards in place or guardrails to prevent lawyers from being unscrupulous and doing this to prevent you from practicing, whether it's pro hoc vice or or in another jurisdiction that you're admitted?
3: Yeah, it's exactly the opposite. Not only there are guardrails, But um, many members of the bar and many bar associations are siding with the McCarthyites, just the way they did in the 1950s. Uh, Remember, there were no guardrails when in the 1950s, bar associations went after people who they perceived as defending communists. I was too young to be a lawyer, but I was president of the student government at Brooklyn College. And I stood up for the rights of um, uh, people who are perceived to be socialists or communists to teach and as a result of that, the president of the university wouldn't recommend me to law school. Um, so, you know, it goes back a long time, but I thought it was over. Um, you'd think that after McCarthyism, we'd learn our lesson. But today it's the hard left that's producing this new McCarthyism.
1: What's your recommendation for somebody that receives this scarlet letter and, un, you know, uh, unfairly?
3: call me. That's the first thing. And
1: I'll (laughs) arrange for somebody to represent
3: you. If I can do it, I will. I like to keep my promises. If it's in a state where I can practice, I'll do it. If not, I'll get somebody who can do it. Uh, But we can't just uh, capitulate to uh, uh, these uh, radical, woke, progressive McCarthyites, because they're trying to destroy the legal system. Remember, they think they know the truth. And if they know the truth, capital T, capital T, Why do you need an adversary system? What do you need lawyers? What do you need due process? What do you need free speech? You don't need free speech if there's the truth and everybody knows the truth. Dissenting opinions are just barriers to achieving the peace. And that's what the new woke progressives are doing. They're eliminating all of our constitutional rights in the name of their kind of progressive woke uh, programs.
1: And that's coming from you, uh, a self-proclaimed liberal Democrat.
3: I am. I'm a liberal. I'm a libertarian. I've been a Democrat all my life. I've never voted for a Republican presidential candidate. I might someday. I made a mistake. I should have voted for Mitt Romney instead of uh, uh Barack Obama <laughs> for the second term. I acknowledge that was a mistake, but then I don't know who I'm gonna vote for this time, but but I've always voted Democrat and I've always been a liberal. I was the youngest member of the national board of the American Civil Liberties Union. I was called by Time, you know, by Newsweek magazine the most uh, peripatetic civil liberties lawyer in the country, and I'm today uh, very much against the progressive, woke attempts to deny us our civil liberties. And, and and the worst aspects of it is when you're trying to represent somebody who is out of fashion, uh, who is unpopular, who is politically incorrect, whether it be Donald Trump or Keith um, you, you're, you're You're surprised to hear I make a comparison between the two, but They both have in common that uh, the liberal establishment despises them and they don't care about due process or free speech or civil liberties. You know, they're now trying to put a gag order Mm -hmm.
1: on Donald Trump. You'd think the ACLU would get involved in that case, but they haven't. They've been silent. Folks, we're on with Professor Alan Dershowitz. And straight ahead, we're going to talk about his new book, Get Trump. Uh, Again, liberal Democrat, former Harvard law professor and he's got a book on trump and he says it's not good to go after lawyers i completely agree look at that me agreeing with a liberal democrat don't go anywhere it's rich valdez with professor dershowitz we're coming right back
0: seeking the truth never gets old
1: All right, America, welcome back. And we're going to continue our conversation with our guest, Professor Alan Dershowitz. He's a Harvard Law School professor emeritus and the author of a new book, Get Trump, the Threat to Civil Liberties, Due Process and Our Constitutional Rule of Law. Professor Dershowitz, before you get into the book, where do you think we embarked on this departure from... Uh, in this partisan departure from following the Constitution? Because it seems to be that way.
3: There's no question it's that way. It's the woke left young people who are sure of the certainty of their views. And they just find due process to be a barrier to the truth. Um, You know, they want to make sure that any man who's accused of any improper conduct toward a woman has no due process. Yale University, for example, is being sued now because they had a case in which a young man who was acquitted by a jury but was disciplined by Yale, they wouldn't allow him to cross-examine. They wouldn't allow him to be in the room. The the the, the fact finder just simply accepted what the woman had said without giving the defendant any chance. And that's typical now at what's going on at universities. And, you know, in universities, if people want to make a case for Israel, for example, they can't do it uh, if they want to make the case for Donald Trump, they can't do it. If they want to make a conservative argument on how the Constitution should be interpreted, they can't do it. You know, Harvard University was ranked last in the country for free speech rights by an organization that monitors free speech. I think some of it got worse under the Trump administration because people think people on the left, the hard left, the woke, that Trump is Adolf Hitler. And since anybody would do anything to stop Adolf Hitler, including assassination, um, they know no limits on what they're prepared to do to stop Donald Trump from being reelected. They're not advocating assassination, although one professor at um, um, some Midwest university did say that merely stopping conservative speakers is not enough, killing them is what we should do. (laughs) So uh, there uh, there is a real movement away from... Classic liberalism and classic conservatism. Remember that classic liberalism and classic conservatism has much in common. Um, mm-hmm. Tolerance, openness to ideas, free speech. I used to debate William Buckley. I was a classical liberal. He was a classical conservative. We would argue about things. And then at the end, we'd go out and have a drink. And I would say to him, you know, you persuaded me on this argument, but not that argument. He'd say the same thing to me. That's not happening anymore in the United States. Certainly not
1: in on, on campuses when we look at the the premise of your book and and again, mm-hmm. i think the um the the title is is really um giving here get trump the threat to civil liberties due process and our constitutional uh rule of law i i believe that this is um so well put it, it there really is a threat to all those things and, yeah. and it's not just political or partisan in nature my it may derive from that But it's a real thing where people are really having to defend themselves. Like we just mentioned, some aren't even able to get lawyers to to defend themselves. Uh, Even Trump, they're trying to limit his own defense right now with all of these things. There's no question
3: there. I have to tell you, I have four lawyers who called me over the past couple of months who said that Trump or his people wanted to have them defend them and he wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it because they're afraid of being attacked by the 65 uh, uh, project. So there's no doubt it's having a big impact, and you know, today it's Trump, but tomorrow it's your, your uncle or your your son or your daughter uh, who can't get a lawyer because they're afraid of, of, of what's going to happen. So, uh, and the bar associations and the civil liberties union, they're not stepping up. Uh, they they support this McCarthyism. That's the problem. Um, back in the 50s, they opposed it, but now they now they support it, and uh, so it's moving in the wrong in the wrong direction.
1: You discuss the essence of justice in the book. Tell us more about that. Yeah.
3: Well, first of all, the title of the book is not original with me, Get Trump. It was the campaign slogan, essentially, that the attorney general of New York and the district attorney Mm -hmm. of Manhattan ran on. They ran on the program, Let's Get Trump. And if we don't get Trump, don't vote for us. Uh, And so, you know, they made getting Trump a political goal. And, of course, as the chief judge of New York Court of Appeals once said, any prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. And so it's easy to get an indictment. The the, the uh, indictment in, in Manhattan is the, the weakest thing I've seen in 60 years of practicing law, but they might get a conviction because this is a district where, I don't know, 75% of the people hate Trump. So you're not going to be able to get a fair trial. In District of Columbia, it's even worse. It's over 90% that probably hate Trump. And so you know, the, the system of justice is being, is being skewed uh, somewhat terribly. And, you know, that this is Trump. Everybody knows about that. There are other cases, i say, like the Keith Maneri case, where people are not aware of the possibility, the strong likelihood that um, that evidence was tampered with. And uh, that, that's just, if that's done and, and, and the government can get away with tampering with evidence, with changing the dates, on on films and doing things of that kind none of us has a chance i mean the greatest lawyer in the world can't win a case when the evidence is 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 tampered with and 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 turned into something that it isn't and that's why i'm so interested in what's going on in the in the Keith case
1: while your scholarship is appreciated and your activism on this issue of defending the constitution and and civil mm-hmm. liberties is, is notable do you feel that in your lifetime and in, in the rest of my lifetime that there's going to be an end or a reversal of this perversion of our legal system?
3: Well, I just turned 85. So, you know, thank you. Thank you. It gives me another good 10 years. I think we can help reverse this. Um, it's going to take 10 years though. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, if Trump were to be defeated, fair and square overwhelmingly, in what he would have to concede as a fair election. Some of this might turn around, but I think others of it has become so entrenched in our legal system that it's going to take a decade to undo it, if we can undo it at all. You know, the McCarthyism was undone very quickly, very quickly. I think the world realized that McCarthy was, you know, a drunk and a liar, and he had no credibility Whereas today, the people who are bringing us the new McCarthyism are decent people, and they're presentable, and they're our children. And so uh, it's going to be much harder to reverse the new McCarthyism than it was to reverse the old McCarthyism.
1: What's your admonition to reverse this?
3: Well, I think everybody has to get into this fight. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, liberal, conservative, Democrat, or Republican. You have to fight to preserve the Constitution. You have to tell the people on your side that you can't tolerate this denial of due process, the denial of free speech, the denial of basic liberties. Um, We should all be libertarians, whether we're conservative libertarians or liberal libertarians. But being a supporter of liberty is something that every American should join.
1: Amen to that. Folks, we're on with uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, and he's got a new documentary that's out there, ConJob the new Nexium investigation. We're going to talk about that and the latest on the sex cult uh, saga. So stick with us. Again, our phone number if you have a question or a comment 833-482-5337 833-4 valdez
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833 833- Four Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez.
5: From Hollywood stars to corporate elites, thousands followed Keith Raniere on a mission to change the world.
0: Raniere, who described himself as a self-help guru, was sentenced to 120 years behind bars.
6: Then his world came crashing down. The leader of an alleged sex cult has been arrested in Mexico. Convicted of crimes stemming from a secret society of women called DOS, where Ranieri was called master.
7: DOS has been grossly misrepresented. Just because someone's lifestyle may be different
0: than yours doesn't mean that is wrong.
1: Since 2017, we've heard about Nexium, the cult-like organization where there were sex slaves getting branded with uh, Keith Ranieri's initials on their pelvis and all sorts of things that have come out of that. And our guest, Professor Alan Dershowitz, is going to share some updates on this investigation in a new documentary. Professor, what say you?
3: Well, the major piece of evidence that convicted Keith Ranieri
1: was
3: a series of photographs. Um, uh, of allegedly young, underage girl. And it was dated um, at a time when we know the birth certificate of the girl. She would have been underage. But we've now had numerous experts, including former FBI agents and experts in how these uh, dating things occur on computers, uh, who have sworn under oath, without a doubt, uh, in their minds, that the dates were changed and that, in fact, the um, um, female in the picture was over the age of consent at the time when these uh, pictures were allegedly uh, taken. If that's true, the whole case falls apart. And um, what the defense is looking for is a hearing at which the people who um, uh, dated the picture are called, in which the experts who dispute the dating are called, and Why is the government afraid of a hearing? Why is the government afraid to put witnesses under oath? Uh, The goal of a hearing of this kind is to get at the truth. And uh, if the truth is, as these experts say it is, that these um, photographs and the dates were tampered with, there's no American who should want to see a conviction based on that. There should be a new trial. Let's see what a jury does without these. Very, very, very prejudicial photographs that, according to experts, were manipulated, distorted, and doctored. Uh, We can't just allow these allegations by experts to remain uh, unverified or undisputed or, or, or disputed but unresolved. That's what we have a legal system for. And all the defense wants is an opportunity to have an evidentiary hearing at which the truth comes out, whichever way the truth comes out. That's what the American public should be
1: interested in. So now, the founder Keith Raniere, uh, he was sentenced to 120 yep. years in federal prison for sex trafficking and other crimes. And you're saying the uh, the linchpin here is is the metadata in, in these photos. If if that's right. if, if, that, if that's the case, I guess the allegation is that the government, in their prosecution, decided to. Um, falsify evidence, which we saw happen with even in the Trump stuff with the emails that were tampered with and whatnot. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Do you? Look, I've had I've had a number of cases. Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, The O.J. Simpson case, we proved beyond a doubt that Officer Van Adder poured blood from O.J. Simpson and from the victims on a sock that was laying flat. And we were able to demonstrate that to a jury, which then um, acquitted the defendant, even though there was other evidence of his possible uh, guilt. And I've had a number of cases over my 60-year career where people have tampered with the evidence. And uh, you know, we we would like to establish at a hearing the chain of custody, who had access to this metadata, who could have uh, tampered with it, who did tamper with it. You know, we're not painting with a broad brush and saying every single person in the government is is corrupt. It could be you know, one person or a group of people. In the O.J. Simpson case, it was two people who basically got together, one of them who did the tampering and, and the other one who was uh, fully aware of it. But as I say, I've seen numerous cases in, in my career where individuals who who are well-intentioned, they think they know that the defendant is guilty. They're just helping the process along by creating incriminating evidence, but that's not the way the American system is supposed to work. So there should be a hearing and uh, experts should be allowed to testify and let the judge make a decision subject to appellate review.
1: Do you get a lot of flack for defending someone that's been accused of such egregious crimes?
3: Oh, of course. Oh, without a doubt. Um, You know, when you're a criminal defense lawyer, as I've been for so many years, you're hated and you're loved. Um, If you defend somebody who people like, they love you. And if you defend somebody who they don't, uh, they hate you. I remember when I was representing at the same time, Mike Milken, the financier, and Mike Mm. Tyson, the boxer, people would come over to me at the airport and say, Alan, I love what you're doing for Mike. And I would have (laughs) to wonder which Mike Mike they had in mind, because almost nobody wanted me to be defending both of the Mikes. Uh, But if you're gonna be a defense lawyer, you can't decide who to defend based on who you like or who people like. Um, you know, John Adams set the standard when he represented the, uh, the uh, people who p- produced the Boston Massacre. Imagine anybody less popular in Boston than British redcoat soldiers <laughs> who shot and killed protesters in downtown Boston who were throwing snowballs at them. And John Adams knew he was possibly destroying his career and his future. He didn't in the end because we were a more tolerant country then. But he took great risks by defending these people and came back with a mixed verdict. You know, some were guilty, some were less guilty. But that that's what he did. And that's what all lawyers should do. Abraham Lincoln defended very bad mm-hmm. people, very, very guilty people. Thurgood Marshall defended people who were horrible killers and rapists uh, that's what criminal defense lawyers do. And, you know, many of our clients are guilty because that's the way it is in America. Most people are charged with a crime of guilty, but not all. And that's why in a case like Keith Renier, where the very, where the experts say he's innocent of the right. fundamental charge, you have to get to the bottom of that. You can't let it just linger there with suspicions and, and allegations. And, uh, Um, you know, let them appoint the special counsel to look into this. Let's have a hearing. Let's just get to the bottom of it. Everybody has an interest in finding out what really happened. If there was tampering. Uh, As the experts say there was, this verdict cannot be allowed to stand.
1: Professor, for those that are listening that want to continue to find out what's going on with this case, with Keith Ranieri and everything else that you're working on, how do they uh, keep in touch with you?
3: Well, I have a website, um, through Harvard and, um, you can Google me, I'm on Twitter or whatever they call it now, X. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have like a, close to a half a million followers and I tweet, uh, periodically. I'm not a high tech guy, but, uh, uh, I can, I can tweet a little bit and, uh, um, you know, you can read my books. I mean, I write about most of the things that I do. I've written 52 books and, I'm on 50, I finished 53. And I'm about halfway through 54. So I'm trying to get to 60. We'll see if I make it.
1: That's it? I'm kidding. Folks, we're on with Professor Alan Dershowitz. Uh, check out his book, his latest book, Get Trump. And, uh, Professor, I want to thank you for being with us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and appreciate, uh, a patriot. And I appreciate you being here with us, staying up late. Well, you ask great questions, and I appreciate being on your show. Thank you. Likewise. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more, 833-482-5337.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: So there's a, yet another contender in the race for 2024. He's coming out of New Jersey, a New Jersey Republican. And um, we're going to hear about his campaign in a little bit. And um, I'm always interested to hear from these candidates because obviously it's a, it's a long shot because there's, it's a crowded field. There's a lot of people running for president. But I, I'm always interested in running and uh, learning why they're running. Right. Why are you running for president? Because I think it matters and I'm glad that they are. That's why I try to have as many of the candidates as I can on the show, because that matters. Right. You have to stand up for the things you believe in. Otherwise, we're all screwed. Anyway, we're going to get your calls and that interview and a bunch more. There's a lot to discuss tonight. So don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337 is the number Eight three three. For Valdez. Again, don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're coming right back.
0: Live from the city that never sleeps.
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday evening, hour number two of the program. And uh, we just wrapped up a really good interview with uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz. That was really interesting. Uh, a lot of interesting um, insight that he shared. We're about to jump into another interview in a moment uh, with a another presidential candidate. Uh, but first, I want to talk about voter registration. Right? Voter registration is a an important thing and people should do it and people should be out there hustling to get people registered and explain the importance. Sure. And of course, on a day like National Voter Registration Day, we should talk about that. However, however, I think it's important that we realize that this should be something that that you go and do. Right? Nobody turns in, you know, let's say New York or New Jersey, 16, 17, and just automatically gets a driver's license. You know, they have to go. They do the road test. They apply for a permit. You know, there's a process. And there's a process to register to vote. And once you're registered, then you can vote. And this idea that we're going to automatically register people, I think, is is a poor one. Uh, it's a poor one in many in, in many regards. But I want you to hear the governor of... Pennsylvania, saying that the states now become the latest to enact automatic voter registration.
4: So- Pennsylvania, it is National Voter Registration Day, and today... I am proud to announce that for the first time ever, Pennsylvania is an automatic voter registration state. That's right. From now on, when you get or renew your driver's license or an ID card at the DMV, you'll be registered to vote unless you choose not to. I made a commitment when I was campaigning for this office that we would bring automatic voter registration in Pennsylvania and break down the barriers for legal eligible voters. This is a key step to make our elections more secure, adding important levels of verification to the voter registration process. And by expanding voter registration at our DMVs, we'll save taxpayers time and money, reduce the number of costly paper registrations, and streamline voter registration for Pennsylvanians. Look, this is common sense. You already provide proof of identity, residency, age, and citizenship at the DMV. All the information you need to register to vote. We're making our state government work better for the good people of Pennsylvania. No matter who you choose to vote for or what your views are, I hope you'll make your voice heard now more than ever. We need an engaged citizenry to move our country and our commonwealth forward.
1: So that's Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania. And I got to tell you, does this guy sound like he's selling used cars or what? I mean, I wouldn't buy a used car from this guy. Hey, how's it going? Josh Shapiro here with the funny music in the background, real upbeat, real happy. I'm not a fan of this at all. And, And again, the reason being, there are people that choose not to vote, and that's their prerogative. I hope that they change their mind and they do it, but that's something they've got to do. And when everybody, 100% of the, of the population is now registered to vote, or at least 100% of drivers, because that's the way they're going to do it, right? If you get a driver's license or an ID card at the DMV, you're going to be registered to vote unless you choose not to. Now, again, sounds innocuous to, to most. They're like, well, whatever. It's, it saves us a trip. You know what else saves you a trip? When you sign up for a free trial of something and they go, your credit card will not be charged and you get 30 days free. And the next thing you know, for the next four years, you're paying X amount of dollars a month, right? Saved you the trip. Sure. Saved you the trip to your wallet to bring out your credit card when you actually wanted to buy it. This is the same type of thing, uh, uh, even though it's not costing you any money. Once you do it, yes, you'll be registered forever. And should you choose to vote in the next 16 years, you're good to go. My issue here is is not on that. The issue here really is when you have all of these registered people and many of them choose not to vote, you have the opportunity for fraud. This is not me saying this. These things were put out by the uh, the infamous Carter Baker Commission report. They said automatic registration, mail-in voting, all sorts of things were included in, in their report as being fraught with fraud or having the potentiality to be. So we have to sit here and ask ourselves, is this what we want to do? Is registering every last person? You know, there are states where they're saying if you're not a citizen of the United States, you, um, you can still get a driver's license. Okay, great. So now if you have a driver's license, even though you're not a citizen, you can, you'll be automatically registered to vote. This isn't good. This flies in the face of everything that we actually have a registration process for to make sure that you're legit. Now, of course, he says we're going to have heightened, you know, assurances and whatever and whatnot. I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying it because ultimately at the end of every election night, you're going to have a handful or more, uh, maybe a boatload of registered voters that haven't voted. And there's the recipe for disaster. Makes sense to me. It's the easiest way to cheat. You already got people that are registered to play the game. They're registered to vote. Right? And there's already people that are registered to vote that could, that don't go and vote. So I think it's it's important that the, the people fight back on this and push. Because once they start making everything automatic and everything easy, it's going to cost you. Trust me, it's going to cost you. Think about you know the old saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. In recent years, public schools have been pushing to have every student, whether they wanted free lunch or not, or reduced lunch, free or reduced lunch, uh, whether they wanted it or not, they were telling you, fill out the application. Because the school wanted to say, look how many students we have applying every year. Look how much you know they could potentially get uh, in, in that type of funding. And it's becoming easier and easier to get. And the reason it's becoming easier and easier to get is because, again, platitudes. They'll come out and say, well, look, there's kids that, that, that the only meal they get is at of school. And this, okay, granted, that's all true. But if the kid needs the, the school lunch, and they should apply for it. Great. If a kid doesn't need it, then he shouldn't apply for it. It's, it's that simple to me. The, the issue with that is, in my opinion, they're trying to create a system where lunch is now free for everybody all the time. Now you're thinking, Rich, what's wrong with feeding kids school lunch for free? It costs money. (laughs) It costs money. And it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost the government money. And ultimately, you're creating a way to have people that are permanently dependent on the government for a school lunch, for a reduced lunch, for their voter registration, even if they're not a citizen. There's a pattern here. It's government dependence. The governor knows That this could be a problem, and he moved forward with it anyway. Not a good idea. Very bad call, in my opinion. Anyway, we're going to talk about some of the 2024 issues that are facing Republican candidates uh, with uh, debates coming up. And uh, we're going to talk with Hirsch Singh. He's scheduled to be with us in the next segment about his campaign for president. He's a Republican candidate vying for the Republican nomination in 2024. So keep it locked right here. Give a call if you want to talk to Hirsch Singh and ask him a couple of questions. Feel free. The phone number is 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833 482 4 valdes That's Valdez with an S. Is Rich
1: Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, as part of our series on candidate profiles for the 2024 uh, Republican nomination, I want to bring in a a guest. Uh, Hirsch Singh is a Republican from New Jersey that's running for president. And I want to get to know him and I want you to get to know him. I want to hear about his campaign and I want to hear about his views on the news. Hirsch Singh, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Rich! Uh, great to be here. Just want to say this is a, a great show, and it's an honor to be here with you.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, I feel like uh, it, it's warranted to spend a little bit of time. We have about a half hour together. and We're going to chop it in, chop it up into a couple of segments so we could take our time with this stuff. Um, but I think it's warranted that um, you tell us a little bit about your background.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I got involved politically uh, when Ron Paul. I first started running for president in uh, 2008. I joined the Young Americans for Liberty as a student, Um, was very much so uh, about his uh, presidential campaign in 2012. Uh, uh, As being a part of the Young Americans for Liberty, I helped make Rand Paul a U.S. senator. And uh, even in New Jersey, 2013, I uh, helped uh, our U.S. Senate uh, candidate that year um, go against Cory Booker. and even Chris Christie, 2009, I was a supporter of his. Uh, I've always been very active politically. And in 2017, I decided that if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And I got involved uh, running uh, statewide. Uh, in 2020 for U.S. Senate, we got within 1% of winning the Republican nomination, uh, mm. d- despite only having the support of four counties uh, in South Jersey. Um and, you know, when you have the support of a county, what that means is you get a preferred placement on the New Jersey ballot. Right. So for example, in 2020, President Trump is at the top, and then the U.S. Senate candidate is right below. So I was right below President Trump um, in only four counties, even though I was a strong supporter of his. And my opponent, who was kind of not really a conservative, Um, He was underneath President Trump in 17 of the other counties. So despite that disadvantage, we were right within 1% of winning, even though you had all that vote-by-mail nonsense. Um, So as a candidate, as someone born and raised in Jersey, uh, I I connect really, really well with uh, the full spectrum that is underneath the umbrella of Republicans, from the Libertarians, the Conservatives, the devout Christians, the devout Catholics, as well as those that are just economically focused, your Mitt Romney Republicans and such. And so uh, due to my my age, uh, I'm also on the younger side, I'm 38, I get along really well with those that are still in college and and you know I can galvanize in a very strong way uh, our values. And I never back down from the critiques of the left. So as a candidate, if I were to get the Republican nomination, I'm very confident I would not only make sure that we move the executive branch in the Republican direction, I think that we would be able to really take the U S Senate in a strong way and the house in a strong way such that we can help guide this country out of the division and, and just absolute corruption at certain levels of government that needs to be cleaned up, rooted out and removed.
1: All right. Hersh Singh, let's talk about, um, your, your background in terms of, um, outside of politics. Uh, what, what what type of, um, Background, do you, do you work in now?
5: Uh, so, my background is engineering. I'm a trained problem solver. Uh, I've been specifically in the areas of missile defense, satellite navigation, aviation safety, security, um, basically helping ensure we find solutions that make sure that America remains number one in all those critical areas. And I'm basically a nerd who's very patriotic. And loves <laughs> to make sure we dominate.
1: Where does that love of country come from? This this willingness for the United States to dominate.
5: Well, I think that we're the only beacon uh, in the entire world where, uh, if there are problems elsewhere, you can count on the potential help of America coming through. When you see tyrannical governments in other parts of the world, uh, it's America that is looked upon as the only potential saving grace uh, to correct the uh, courts. And the issue is, if things go bad here, there's no one to come and save us. There is no other power in the world that's going to come and protect us if we have a problem. And it just looks like the divisions within the population and the vitriolic level of the political discourse has gotten to such a point that it's, it needs to be remedied, it needs to be fixed, because there is no other shining city on a hill. This is America. We have to
8: protect it.
1: You talk about the vitriol that's in our public discourse, and I, I agree with it. I, 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 I see it every day. And I know that there was a time where it wasn't as, as divisive as it is now. Why, um, why do you think we've arrived at this juncture? How would we get
5: here?
8: I, I think it's, it's because uh,
5: people have thought short term on trying to win a political point. And uh, when you're thinking long term, you're not just trying to win a couple points in the moment. Uh, I guess it's like the idea if you put uh, a rat in a corner, it's going to fight with the strength of like 10 rats. But if you give... A way out, it'll run away. And our politics has become so adversarial that those that disagree with us, it's become too personal. And I think we need to move away from that. We need to uh, move in the direction of uh, winning on principle, leading the American people and having higher ideals and not this race to the bottom that we've seen, I think, uh, play out. Very horribly, across the political spectrum, and that that comes from leadership it doesn't come from you know everyday people having good values. you have to lead from the top and then it gets replicated
1: What do you think about the leadership that we currently have in in the White House right now
5: i mean he's <laughs> there's no one there okay i mean it's uh, it's very unfortunate, but he's unable to perform the duties that are required um and He shouldn't even be there. That's my personal opinion. He should not be there. Um, He shouldn't be there to begin with, because I don't feel that 2020 was handled in a legitimate manner. Um, The U.S. Supreme Court should have properly adjudicated the concerns of 2020 so that people could put it to bed. But because they didn't take their responsibility seriously and they abdicated their responsibility, you have this wound in the minds of the American people. And with his inability to perform, that memory gets magnified. So uh, that's the problem, we don't have leadership. And you have certain candidates out there talking about destroying the the agencies uh, of the federal government. And I think that's very, very wrong because someone like a President Biden, who is very limited in what he's able to actually perform, If these agencies weren't there, America, I think, could very easily fall into anarchy and chaos. You know, we need law and order. We need, you know, to make sure people feel safe. And these agencies are the ones doing it. And that's why I feel like we have to make sure that we root out the partisanship in government. There should be zero partisanship and allow the political discourse to really be focused on issues and and may the best argument Win. Let the American people decide and let the best argument win. I think that's how we we can fix this, but it's really tragic, the situation we're in.
1: Folks, we're on with Hirsch Singh. His website is hirschsing.com. He's a candidate uh, for president in 2024, running for the Republican nomination. He's up against Trump, DeSantis, Elder, and all the rest of the guys that are in this game. So we're gonna talk about his campaign straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. If you want to ask him a question, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
2: years now I want the audience to know what a wonderful decent person you are very very thoughtful
0: America at night with rich Valdez
9: the United States seeks a more secure more prosperous more equitable world for all people because we know our future is bound to yours let me repeat that again we know our future is bound to yours and no nation can meet
1: the challenges of today alone. That's President Joe El Baboso Biden at the U.N. today saying that uh, we seek a more prosperous, more equitable world for all people. Now, of course, Joe Biden's uh, always singing a different song and rarely is he on beat when he's singing it. But this is what we've got. And we've got a myriad of problems that are facing the nation. And Joe Biden seems to be creating the problems rather than fixing the problems. We're on with our guest, Hirsch Singh. He's a Republican from New Jersey that's running for president in the 2024 Republican uh, nomination. And um, Hirsch Singh, when you hear President Biden say that we're looking for a more uh, prosperous, excuse me, more equitable world for all people, what do you think of these platitudes?
5: I just can't get out of my head that Speaker McCarthy needs to make sure that he gets treated and this administration gets treated the same way President Trump and his administration were treated. There should be a vote on impeachment, and it should happen immediately, and there should be no delay. I think that uh, the fact that nothing is able to move in a direction which is positive and we have all this inside fighting is because there's a lack of leadership in the House to call an impeachment vote And allow everyone to show where they stand. Anyone who is a Republican and does not vote for impeachment, they need to be primaried in 2024. And I'm pretty confident that that vote will make it through. It'll go to the U.S. Senate and let the American people see who is with the American people and who is against us. Even if the vote fails, that'll be information so we can guide our 2024 energy and direction so we can kind of help fix and ameliorate the concerns in the country. That That's what comes to my mind when I hear President Biden speak, because the evidence that has come out against him, against his family, is all over the public, yet the media pretends like they don't see it. So yeah. we have to have a vote, present it to the Republican congressmen, and have them ask the tough questions, vote on it, let the American people see who's authentic, who's not, and move it to the Senate.
1: Now, Hershing, I want to jump into that topic with you in the next segment. But right now, I want to focus on the vote for you, right? I want to, I want you to kind of um, let the audience know why you decided to run for president. It's clearly, not an easy task, uh, but one that I think is an important one. Why should people vote for you? Why are you running?
5: Because I love America, and it's falling apart. And once again. If there was someone else who was able to do what's necessary to fix it, I would gladly enjoy life. But this, like all problems, isn't going to fix itself, so I've thrown myself into it. Today is day 54 of the campaign. Compared to other campaigns, most of those campaigns have been around for over 120, 130, 150 days. Um, We have 118 days from today for the first Republican competition over in Iowa, January 15th. So we're right about hitting the first one third of the uh, duration of this campaign. And the first third was focused on creating the foundation. The second third is gonna be about creating the web. And the third is gonna be all about broadcasting from one corner of the country to the other. Because if people get to know the ideas that I have, which are conservative, America first, people centric, and then if they understand kind of what I bring to the table, my history and how that actually can bring the different factions, worlds perspectives together and encourage and lead, what it will do is kind of ameliorate the problems we've seen over the last number of years. And in a general election, we would be able to have a landslide victory against the outdated left. You know, we need to remove these outdated politicians of a bygone era and it's It's very specific how you have to campaign, who you need to target. Uh, Some people out there trying to be celebrities. That's not what wins you an election. They're very specific people that vote. You need to get to them. You need to get them to understand the values that I bring to the table. And I think that's how you make the case, and that's how you win. Right.
1: Well, we have some voters. uh, Thankfully, this program airs across the country, and we have millions of listeners and uh, we have some callers on the line that want to ask you some questions about your campaign. So we're going to go to Matt in Moorhead city, North Carolina, W T K F Matt. You're on with Hersh Singh and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
7: Hello, Rich. I have a, a question from Mr. Singh. a couple questions. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, go right ahead.
7: Uh, Mr. Singh, um, I like uh, the, the few minutes I heard of your message for voters, how do you plan on beating Trump?
5: Well, thank you, I think that, thank you very much, Matt. Great question. I think that um, I'm a MAGA conservative. I have been a MAGA conservative from day one. I have an unblemished record of support of president Trump. And I think that all I have to do is show people what I stand for, what I'm trying to do and how that actually helps guide everyone uh, in a direction that America wants the, the reality is uh, prior to me entering this race, you only had president Trump standing for these values. And none of the other candidates could really connect to the base and the people. And so the American people get to decide because Trump is Trump. And the Democrats in New Jersey, the leadership in New Jersey, they call me Trump on steroids. So if the American people, they want Trump, they got Trump. And I I have no problem with that. I support their decision. But if they want someone who would be Trump on steroids, I think that that's what we can offer and deliver.
1: Now, Hirsch, how would you – uh, I think that's a great name, by the way, Trump on Steroids. Uh, how do you, um, how do you, m- m- I guess, um, manifest this uh, Trump on Steroids to actually beat Trump? Like, how do you out Trump Trump?
5: I think you don't have to out Trump Trump. You just have to be authentic. I mean, when you hear him, he's very authentic and he's genuine, and I don't think he is is lacking in in you know what he has done. It's actually the people that he has surrounded himself with. He has gatekeepers that I think have severely damaged him in his previous uh, you know, campaigns. Uh, I think that even during his administration, uh, he was not aware of a lot of things going on, even today. I think you yourself might have seen, Rich. He gets tweets and things that are on the Internet printed out and given to him, and he will see it, sign it, write a message, and send it back. It's not him writing those tweets, not him online. So he's being blamed for the actions of others. And I think if people are okay with that, that's fine. But I think it's 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 a weakness. It's a concern and it's a problem that the people that surround him, some of them are not good people. And they've proven that by promoting bad candidates over the years and throwing good candidates under the bus. So I I think that if people are okay with that, that's fine. So be it. But there was no one else who was even an option for the American people, for the American base. And all I'm trying to do is to present that.
1: All right. Uh, Folks, we're on with Hirsch Singh on his 2024 campaign for the Republican nomination for president. Hirsch Singh with uh, two minutes to go in this segment. I want to ask you about Probably the biggest problem we face domestically, in my opinion, um, not only – I think it's tied neck-and-neck neck inflation with the actual uh, abuse that's within our government, the, the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call it. And this this class of government gangsters that, that occupy so many parts of our government, if not all, and they're the ones that are really kind of leading the agenda. How do you um, – how do you take that on?
5: You need to remove the partisanship from government. Uh, and, and it really is, uh, it's a concerning problem because we're seeing it rear its head all over the place. Uh, people need to understand how uh, government works. You need to make sure that those in government that have caused any type of issue, they need to be rooted out. Uh, there are very key ways in trying to uh, do that. Uh, even though there there are maybe difficulties in firing people, you can make a mockery of them. You can create an agency which is uh, uh, named uh, an agency that, that holds individuals that people have no confidence in and literally transfer people from there to this agency, anyone who is partisan. And then they can decide, do they want to sit there doing nothing because they were doing nothing in their current agency or do they want to quit? And I think that that is a way – that you start de-emphasizing any type of partisanship uh, without actually causing legal challenges because you would need congressional approval to rampantly change the way things have been functioning. You need to understand how actual agencies work to root out all types of partisanship, and I think it will solve the problem very, very quickly.
1: Sounds easier said than done, but I like the way it's going. Folks, we're on with Hirsch Singh. He's a Republican candidate for president in 2024. We're coming right back with your calls, questions, and comments. 833-482-5337. This
0: is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 482 For Valdez, that's Valdez with an S. America at night with rich. Valdez.
1: He's been on the campaign trail for less than two months. Hirsch Singh is a Republican from New Jersey running for president in 2024, vying for the Republican nomination. Hirsch Singh, what do you do on day one of a Singh administration?
5: On day one of a Singh administration, I would give the big tech companies in America a choice. Either they get to be a publisher, or they get to be a technology company. And if they choose technology company, they're no longer able to censor. They're no longer able to try and guide and control speech. And if they are a publisher, then they're able to be sued based upon their censorship or otherwise. And I think that is is number one, because the big tech censorship has completely gone out of control. Uh, Two, I would end the Ukrainian war on day one. I'm really, really confident that that war needs to be ended. It's a neocon war. It's a religious war. Um, they're, they're putting priests in prison, and, you know, it, it's destabilizing the entire world. It's no good for us. I do not agree with it. I don't think it's in America's best interest. Uh, I would end that on day one. Uh, I would ensure how do you How do you that do that? The other side does not want this. I, I believe we antagonized it. We, we forced it. Uh, If you listen to Colonel Doug McGregor, uh, he went into depth on Tucker Carlson on X and uh, actually uh, described uh, very, I I would say, accurately uh, the situation. Um, If we would uh, handle NATO appropriately, there is no need for this conflict. And it's really a tragedy with the number of people that are dying uh, because of uh, those in our current government that have hijacked American foreign policy.
1: What do you say to people that say that, Uh, Putin and Russia's aggression is what started this war, and it's not the handling of NATO that got us here.
5: There's a Newsweek article that came out just earlier today which basically said we can no longer keep up with these lies and that they've basically been creating these talking points for an extended period of time that have kind of given people that thought. And it's unfortunate, it's very unfortunate, it's not the first time it's happened, it's not probably the last time it's gonna happen, but, you know, to, to that end, uh, the two other things on day one would be reinstating anyone who is removed from our military or our federal government because they did not take the COVID vaccine. And I think one of the real big things, because inflation is completely run amok and is hurting people financially very, very severely, I would put together a commission for the removal of the income tax uh, because people deserve that if they're supposed to be making 100K a year, that that's how much they're getting. And so I would put together a commission to allow people to start being able to afford this economy. We're in California right now. You have over $7 a gallon of gas. So those are the four things. Uh, but yeah, so Russia, I'm glad you brought I, up I the, that-
1: the economy and your economic plan because I want to talk about that. I feel like that's the most pressing issue. I, James Carville, the raging Cajun once advised, uh, president Bill Clinton uh, to say that it's the economy, stupid. And uh, with that being said, I think that that's, uh, at least for me, you know, I just filled up my car today. It was $102, and I filled it up in North Jersey. And I, I think it, this this is not sustainable for a lot of people, and I think the economy is probably um, a number one issue for, for most people. It's definitely the issue where Biden polls the lowest. And that being said, how do you begin to reverse inflation, to lower inflation, to try to bring it back to maybe the levels that it was at during the Trump years?
5: Spot on. It's a big problem. And it's a tragedy that we're sending hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while people have to make decisions on can they actually fill their full tank of gas or should they only get $10 or $20 worth because, you know, money is so tight. Do they eat? Do they pay their their rent, their, their, their mortgage. It's a, it's a big, big problem. And it's so fixable. If we untap our economy, the fact that we closed down that pipeline that would have made America the largest oil producer in the entire world, and that we're actually squeezing our strategic petroleum reserve right now. And Biden saying it's okay to completely uh, uh, deplenish it. it. It's unacceptable. I, I think that we completely uh, untap the American economy when it comes to energy, and we make this country affordable and we stop taxing everyone into the ground. And we literally the Federal Reserve chairwoman was asked uh, uh, what she thought about the high price of gas. And she said gas is affordable. She said that today. So um, I, I think that they are out of touch with the reality of everyday people that are struggling and so once we make it affordable for everyday people and we make it possible for those that are even on the low end of, of financial strength, they start having money in their pocket, the, the problems in this country will evaporate so fast. We also got to take care of the attorney generals that are allowing criminals out in the street and, and make it yeah. a law abiding you know, world again. But the, the, those are two sides. Right? One side is make sure people have financial freedom in their pocket. The second side is bring back law and order. And I will do that.
1: Folks, Hirsch Singh is a Republican candidate for governor. Check out his website, hirschsingh.com. Hirsch, I want to thanks for, thank you for sharing your, your thoughts and your time with us. I really appreciate it. Best of luck.
5: Rich, it's a great to be here. I have a true pleasure. Your show is wonderful, and I'm looking forward to coming back and hopefully in the near future and giving you great updates.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Godspeed. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more right now.
0: Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. I'm looking at this um, article here. Uh, according to records that were uh, recently uh, revealed, Dr. Fauci and his wife's net worth exceeded $11 million when he departed his government position. Now, again, I want everybody to be a millionaire. I really do. However, I just have to ask myself, um, these guys should dedicate themselves with a master class to teaching how to make these investments they make. Because last I checked, Dr. Fauci spent his entire career in government and married a woman that worked in government. So let's just say he was the richest, uh, I mean, the highest paid government worker, which he was something to the tune of three or $400,000 a year. Uh, more, he was making more than the president, that was for sure. And his wife was making a, a good salary. Still, you save every penny, you make good investments. What kind of house are you buying? I, I just think it's uh, just it looks a little funny to me. And I'd love to learn how to invest on a salary like that to, to come out with a, a net worth that, that's more than $10 million. Anyway, we're going to continue uh, with your call straight ahead. Open Phone America starts right now. 833-4-VALDEZ. Live
0: from the city that never sleeps.
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Welcome to Open Phone America. It's the call-in portion of the program that we uh, love so much here on this program, Rich Valdez, America at Night. A long, long time-tested tradition on this program, dating back to 1978, started by Larry King, continued by Jim Bohannon, and here we go. I'm with you, and we're rocking with Open Phones tonight, so... If you want to give us a call 833-482-5337, you get to weigh in on any of the topics we talked about, or just bring one to the table. Happy to hear what you want to talk about. I'm going to do a little bit of politics here because we did so much of it this evening, but I want to talk about some other crazy stuff. Just so you know, my producer just told me, he says, uh, I can't believe it's not salmon. There's a a story about salmon that we're going to get into. That's pretty interesting. They're banning pit bulls in the UK. That's nuts. And, uh... A guy saw his wife have a C-section, and he says it destroyed his marriage. So that's some of the silly stuff I want to get into. But earlier today, I posted something on Twitter, and it was a question. It was a photo of Vice President Kamala Harris and Michelle Obama, former first lady. And simple question was, do you think a Kamala Harris and Michelle Obama ticket could be a thing? Well... It's gotten several thousand views, and there's lots of uh, comments on it that I'm going to share some of them with you, uh, but I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, because uh, I don't know if it's a thing or not. It was really just a question, but that was my question. Here are some of the answers. They'll likely dump Harris. This is from Steve Eisenberg. He says, they'll likely dump Harris. Newsom and Michelle might have some traction on the Democrat side. Then... I got some vomit face emojis from from Rick Mann. (laughs) Then uh, Jim Williams chimes in saying, scary as hell if it is a thing. Then uh, at furthest corner says, I hope not. And then Dante says, I hope so. (laughs) I also hope so, by the way. And let's see what we got here. And and then there's a lot of comments about... um, Michelle Obama's, um, I don't know. I don't even know how to phrase this. A lot of people are saying she's a man, which uh, I don't understand why. I mean, I know she's tall, but, I mean, I think it's clear that she's a woman. But I think a lot of people, uh, I think it's a running joke, right? I think it's a running joke where they call her Big Mike. And, you know, you kind of laugh at first and then you go, that's really messed up. (laughs) I'm not doing that. But lots of people here. Nobody uh, really chimed in saying... You know, it won't happen, except for one person, uh, Michelle Legend 64. She says, Hillary will never let that happen. Scott t 1391, he says, I think it would push minority men to the Republican side. They, These people are very weak. Can you imagine them handling a worldwide crisis? Yeah, I could see that not happening. Everybody, let me see. Uh, Yeah, some of these are derogatory, so I can't really, I really can't say them on the air. Um, Let's see, one says, I'd vote for Malik Obama first. That's uh, President Obama's brother, who I believe endorsed Trump in the election in 2020. Somebody else said, my eyeballs are bleeding. (laughs) Others are saying, Lord, help us. Tulsa Mike says, 98% possibility and so many more. I'll leave this up here. It's up on my Twitter page if you want to chime in, and I'll try and get to your comments on it. But that was my question and my thought that, you know, does Biden bail out early and Kamala run in 24? Does Biden try to win and then bail out? I don't see Biden sticking around for four more years. I think this is this stint of four years has been the longest four-year stint ever. Uh, I mean, even though it seems like 2020 was yesterday, the, the damage and the amount of money we've all had to pay in inflation and just the drama and the amount of news and scandals that have come out of this administration have just been, uh, I don't know, they feel unprecedented for me. Probably the only one that beats them is Trump because they fabricated so many of these scandals and had special counsel investigations and, and Mueller investigations and all sorts of investigations that ended with nothing. So, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see where we go with this. Let us go to the phones. I want to get uh, some, some um, input from the callers. Uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Let's go to Doc W D E L. Doc, welcome, sir.
9: Chris, as, as always, thanks for a great show. my calls.
1: Two points. Well, before um, you get to your point, I want I to think- know: Do you think a Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama ticket is is a is something that's feasible? No, two black
9: ladies. I think what the establishment, establishment, the Democratic Party, is doing is this: the establishment ticket is going to be Gavin Newsom and Michelle Obama. The then, then within the party, because the Democrats are much more rebellious than they are, are the Republicans, they're going to have a divided convention all in 1968. I think Bob Kennedy, as you said before, is has to be dealt with within the party. He'll get the the the, uh, the rank and file support, and there will be an insurgent moment to like Bob Kennedy over gavin newsom and michelle obama i don't see gavin newsom and michelle obama um winning nationwide i see bob kennedy surging in the polls right now if he if he goes against president trump he'll be a populist of the right president trump versus, versus a populist of the left uh bob kennedy i want your thoughts sir
1: listen um it, it's a feasible um you know hypothesis that you got there I, I just—I I would love to see—honestly, I would love to see RFK Jr. Um, do better than he's doing. I think it would give Democrats an option. I just feel like it, it's not happening. I mean, he's raising money and he's doing better, but I, I don't know if, if it's going to happen. I, I don't understand why, because Biden's certainly not doing well. And uh, it, it it seems to me that the right person for that Democrats are going to be comfortable with is going to be not so far to the left like Bernie Sanders, or I should, uh, maybe— they could be far to the left, but not as progressive and have that progressive fire brand like he does, Uh, but not somebody that makes as much sense as RFK Jr. And I think people will go for that. Uh, I think he makes too much sense. His positions on certain things like vaccines and other things are inconsistent with uh, with the rank and file of the Democrat Party. So I think that's why he's having this uh failure to launch. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he really does well. I'd love to see him go against any one of the Republican candidates. I think that would be a great matchup. I think your idea about a divided convention could be true. Uh, but I just I've never seen Democrats be divided. Again, it's happened. There's a historical president back in the 60s. but I just don't uh, I don't see it happening now. I feel like they're all in with like, no matter what, we got to stick together. And I think that's where they are. So we'll see. Uh, I don't think uh, personally, I say this for fodder, right? I I don't even believe it. I don't believe that Michelle Obama will run for anything. Uh, I think she's making hundreds of millions of dollars that will dry up the minute she runs for president. Now, maybe not if Obama, her husband, Barack, he can make all that money. But the thing is, I think she, in, in and of herself, is a big brand. And a lot of people like Barack because of Michelle. A lot of women are out there thinking that she's the best thing since sliced bread. So... With her, as, um, that's why I only think she could run for vice president, because she would have the time to do all the ceremonial stuff. She doesn't have to do anything of substance. And not that she's not capable, uh, but just because I think she'd have other things to do. But again, how much of that can you do while you're vice president? You're still taking international trips. You're doing a lot of things. I, I just don't know. I don't know if it happens. So we'll, we'll see. I think uh, I'm I'm really angling. I'm hoping and praying for... Kamala Harris, because I feel like Kamala Harris with anybody would be a a great ticket because I think they'd lose. But uh, Kamala Harris, que mala with Michelle Obama, I think actually strengthens the ticket and they get to go off the deep end, like you said, to women of color. So now they could say, look, look, the evil white Republican men with white hair, they're all old white men, even the old Indian one or even the old black one or even the old whatever one right? They're they're, they're all all white men. (laughs) And I think that they they would create contrast that way. And they might be able to get a little gravitas with people who that matters to. It obviously worked in 2008 in many ways with hope and change. So I don't know. The answer is I don't know. But uh, interesting. And I can't wait till it happens to see which one of us is right. Doc, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Oh, wait, you had something else. Sorry. I, I, I let him go too soon i got to hit this break. Doc, if you want to call back with your comment on Professor Dershowitz, feel free. Folks, the number 833-4-VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
9: across America to the liberty-loving Latino,
10: Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
10: Ours is an administration that is always focused on equity, are all people having the same experience, and if not, in particular, what they are entitled to, such as the right to clean up water, the, cl- the right to clean air, then let's address that. So environmental justice is a phrase that we use to talk about that we want to make sure that there is equality and justice for all people.
1: The quality of clean air, the right to clean air. What kind of clean air does any of us have when a gas bag like Kemal is there blowing wind? Listen, I, I, I can't stand this conversation on equity. This country was built on the idea of, of equality of opportunity, having an equal shot. And some will argue, oh, you, some have more of a shot than others. Of course they do because some people have worked harder, right? If, if your dad made a bunch of money or your mom made a bunch of money and you've got some money and they've got property and they've got business and they know people and they may have some political power, you've got better shots at many things, employment, uh, future success and career, maybe getting into a better school, that's life. And it's part of our job to, to fight to get that position. I think the, the moment that we say, no, 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 everybody's got the same opportunity, what's the benefit of working hard to become a millionaire and a billionaire and a trillionaire, right? There's no, uh, there's no benefit if everybody has the same opportunity. That means the guy who's done nothing for anybody, for himself, for his family, for this community, nothing. That guy has the same shot as somebody who, who's living off of the hard work of the back of his grandpa and his grandma and his dad and his mom. I just don't see it. I think hard work pays off, and that's how life works. If that's the case, I'm waking up with a six-pack tomorrow. Just like the guy who's been dieting like crazy and measuring you know, his four ounces of grilled chicken and working out and doing crunches like a madman. And I'm going to have a six-pack, too, eating White Castle. Come on. It just doesn't work that way in life. Anyway, let's continue with your calls uh, on equality, on anything else you want to talk about. Um, Let's see. Where was I? I had left off with. Let's go to Lucky, Durango, Colorado, KDGO. Lucky, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
6: Hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. Can you hear me? Yep.
1: America hears you.
6: Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I want to call and thank you for having uh, Hirsch sing on as a presidential candidate. I'd never had heard of him before you brought him to the airwaves, sure. and I found him to be a bit of a refreshing candidate. And I was specifically calling in uh, with your question to him about uh, the people that say, think that the Russian aggression was the cause of the Ukrainian war. And I wanted to bring up a few points uh, back in 2014. Uh, uh, Ukraine actually had a uh, colored revolution um, and you can argue about who was the uh, you know, members of, of, of any intelligence mm-hmm. agency that may have funded that or not but prior to that point it had been a fairly pro-Russian government and after that point it was a very anti-Russian government and of course that's when Russia reclaimed Crimea which actually was transferred over to Ukrainian territory in 1954 I believe by Khrushchev Prior to that, for I don't know at least a few hundred years, it had been uh, Russian territory. Uh, also, that's where Russia apparently only has their their only uh, warm water naval base. Right. Um, so obviously, it was very strategically important for Russia to maintain, uh, you know, uh, control of that of that area. Um, and once the anti-Russian government came into Ukraine, they actually started uh, coming uh, Lugansk and, and Donetsk, I believe the two regions are Um, in the Eastern Ukraine, which are predominantly filled with, uh, Russian people. Now you can ask why the Russians are, are in Ukraine. You got to
1: get to the point, Lucky.
6: Uh, okay. Well, my, my point is that everything that, that most of the media reports about it being Russian aggression is not in fact at all true. And the guy that, uh, 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 or mentioned or sorry, uh, and Douglas McGregor is actually very factual and has a lot of good points. Um, but if you do any history on the lesson, you'll realize that it's actually the Ukrainians who have been killing Russian civilians in the eastern part of Ukraine uh, since 2014. And you know, like Russia or hate Russia, they weren't the ones that instigated a lot. Of this. And so it was, in fact, um, you know, I, I I would argue it was the CIA under Obama. Then sure,
1: I, I would agree with that. But the, the, the problem that I have with any of those theories um, is, is ultimately how it was the Russian army that amassed, I don't know, 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine and left them there for, I don't know, 15, 20 days or whatever, saying that they were doing a training exercise. Only to once they, they had amassed the amount of people they needed, they went in to take um, the um, Donetsk region. And they took it. And Ukrainians fought back and they keep fighting and they, they continue to fight a war where they had air power and the Ukrainians had none. And th- this continues to go on today. Uh, I can't sit idly by and say, oh, well, you know, Ukraine, all of Ukraine was once a part of Russia. Therefore, you know, they're just reclaiming their old territory. You know, that's like somebody coming to the house that I, I live in and saying, oh, you know, I used to live here years ago. You're in my room. F you. I'm going to shoot you. So th- that, that's my position there. I don't see any um, any defense of what Russia has done here. Uh, I think that Russia is, is guilty as sin. Now there's talk of biolabs and this, that, and the other. Putin could have bombed these biolabs and been done with it. Strategic stuff. Use a, use a, the equivalent of a SEAL team. Russia has, has, a, has a military power. But they didn't do that. They're in a long and involved war, and then... All I can do is take Putin at his word, and he himself authored a 500-page document, I don't know, three or four years ago, and he said, we're taking back everything that was once part of the Russian Empire, which included all of Ukraine. So um, again, I understand that there was property that was leased in, um, in Crimea, where they, where they had their, um, their naval operations, great. We can lease stuff to anybody we want, but ultimately your lease expires or you get evicted and then you got to go, right? You don't get to say I'm coming back with my army and we're going to take everything over. So I do agree that there is a propaganda war on both sides. I do agree that the CIA under Obama was doing very shady things, uh, in in fact, probably uh, promoted by Joe El Baboso Biden himself while he was there. We've seen some of the dirt that he was doing while he was there. But I don't think uh, Vladimir Putin gets a pass, nor is he a hero. I think he is trying to take as much power and, and real estate as he can. And it doesn't mean that Zelensky and the Ukrainians are innocent either. So that's where I stand on it. Lucky, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Durango, Colorado, KDGO. We're coming back to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead.
0: Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. I want to continue with your calls. We have a lot of people that have, want to weigh in on everything that's going on tonight. Let's go to Jose in Myrtle Beach. W-R-N-N. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Wonderful. Thank you. Sorry about my voice. I'm getting over COVID. So, so That's tough, all right. Man. I didn't know how you sounded before, oh. so you sound terrific.
7: Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just had a couple quick questions. Uh, who do you think Trump would pick as a running mate if he uh, got on the ticket? And then my other question
3: is, when is this border thing going to be taken seriously?
1: So the border thing doesn't get taken seriously until until you get a Republican in there that's really strong. And even then, they may have—it depends on, you know, what type of balance we have in the House and the Senate and how much they can get done. But I, I can— Guarantee it, we've already seen Trump do what he did. I think he was pretty solid on it. I think there's other candidates out there now that are saying, um, we'll be tougher than Trump. Okay, good luck. Uh, I hope you are. You know, I, I want the toughest one to win, and I hope that's the case. Uh, in terms of picking a, a running mate, I really feel that Trump w- will probably pick a wild card just like he did with Pence. Uh, nobody saw that one coming, and he went with that. So uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, there there are days I think that, you know, Ron Johnson might be uh, a, a person he plucks out and says, hey, you're the guy, even though he, they had some issues in the past. Um, there are days where I think um, it would be might be Carrie Lake, who um, was his pick for uh, g- governor in Arizona, but I hear she might be running for the U.S. Senate. So I, I, I really don't know. Um, whatever the case is, I think... Trump's going to pick somebody that's going to help him win and put him over the top. I would think that's got to be somebody from a Midwestern state or from the South. But again, conventional wisdom goes out the window when you're dealing with Trump and all of the nuance that comes in the news. Because, you know, every day there's a new story against Trump. So that's kind of where I'm at with that one, Jose. All right. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. Have a good night. You bet, brother. Feel better, by the way. Big shout out to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Let us continue. Let us go to Jerome, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Jerome, go right ahead.
7: What is up, Richie Rich, my What's man? Up? I was waiting for hey, you. I know, I know, yeah, yeah, I know you are. Hey, I know who you should pick for his run of mate: Marjorie Taylor Green. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Whack job! Whack job! Oh, yeah. Picker. I would wow. love that. But that's not what I want to talk about.
11: Mm-hmm. You know,
7: I I really had a great weekend. I got to watch Ken Paxton, slimy Ken Paxton, weasel his way out of a conviction. And then on Sunday, I got to watch Donald J. Trump, Mr. 219 pounds. So he says, with his interview with Kristen Welker, now wasn't that special? I had a great weekend. Well,
1: what 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 was your favorite part of the interview?
7: Well, the whole interview—just watching him tap dance for for minutes upon minutes. You know, just it's just a special thing, man. It's just a special, and and not answering any questions. He never. Asked, well, I would answer that if you would let me talk. I'm saying. Damn, man, you dominated the whole interview. He do you mean if he let you talk? What's he talking about?
1: Excuse me. Excuse me. Now, Jerome, I know you want to talk about Ken Paxton. What do you want to talk about?
7: Hey, his own people, the people that worked for him, were the ones to say, you got to do something about this guy. He's got a mistress. He's taking kickbacks. He's crooked as crooked can be. And in the end, what happened?
1: He wins, he gets acquitted, nothing happens to him, he was vindicated and cleared of all charges.
7: Yeah, all all legitimate, all legitimate, right? Right? Went through the process, right?
1: right? I think I had to eat it when they impeached El Trumpito once, they impeached him twice. I complain, we eat it, we move on, right? here we are running for president again.
7: That's how it works. he He didn't testify, I was just wondering, is Trump going to be able to, when the, when those trials start, when him and his uh, compatriots start, when their trials start, are they going to be allowed to not testify? Well,
1: of course, because that's Trump a constitutional right, testifying. right? You have a right to to testify to defend yourself, Sixth Amendment right. Then you have a Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate yourself and to say, you know, um, you plead the Fifth. So, I mean, that's thank God we have constitutional rights that allow for that.
7: If he testifies, all of America is going to
1: be watching. You know, of course, if he says anything, all of America is watching, right? NBC News is a new thing again. Meet the Press probably had the best ratings ever with the Kristen Welker interview. But I'll tell you this. Where I'd love to see Trump testify is in Congress. I would love to see him testify in Congress and be the, be the, um, the voice of reason. You know, to come out here and say, here's what I saw as president. You know, to kind of just spill the beans on everything. I think that would be terrific. And I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But I'd love to see it. Jerome, thanks for your call. I appreciate the entertainment and the uh, alternative view. Always a pleasure. Big shout out to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Let's go to the Welker interview. uh, Just I'm getting in my ear from my producer. The most viewed Sunday program. Do you think it was because of Kristen Welker? Come on. Just shy of 3 million viewers. So there you go. Now, uh, let's go to Monica in Pendleton, Oregon, on K-U-M-A.
10: Monica, go right ahead. Hi. Good evening, Rich. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, just to start off with, just on a quick little side note, my father, Richard Green, he's quite infamous here, he's always wanted a businessman for president. And oh, we all know that our, our Donald Trump was a businessman, Mm-hmm. But on the main topic at hand, which is just, you know, bugged me for years, you know, there's all these touts of freedom of speech. And I see, you know, I was taught that freedom comes with responsibility. So less then you know, you speak of something, you know, one's got to be, one's got to know what they're talking about because, and do a fact check because they need to be held accountable for what they're touting off about. And in my view, you know, they tout off a bunch of profanities, you know? They look stupid. So that's, that's about all I can come up with at the moment. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for taking my call.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> How's the weather in Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A?
10: Oddly, um, right now, its it's really windy. I'm hoping we'll have some rain. We have a cold front moving through. Um, We're supposed to have winds about roughly 20 miles an hour tomorrow. Tonight, the temperatures are supposed to drop, like, in the higher 40s. And um, tomorrow, I believe, it's supposed to get in the 80s, just high winds. Wow. I'm not a fan of dry winds. I'm hoping we will get rain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but 80 doesn't sound too bad. Monica, thanks for the weather report and I think you've got a great point. I appreciate it. Um, big shout out to Pendleton, Oregon, K U M A in the building. Folks, I'm going to take a quick pause right here. We're going to come back to your calls and more straight ahead.
0: This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Vanna White has been reinstated on Wheel of Fortune. She's back and she's making more money than ever. God bless her. Uh, I was just telling somebody a funny story. Somebody sent the things on the Internet are crazy. People put all sorts of information on the Internet. Somebody put a, uh, sent me uh, something saying congratulations with a link to my net worth on the Internet. And it was in the millions. It was uh, north of 10 million. And I thought, man, this is fantastic. I love this. This is great. While not accurate, uh, still fun nonetheless. But Vanna White is expected to be getting a raise, the first raise in many years. And uh, she's back. And I'm glad she's back. What's, what is Wheel of Fortune without Pat and Vanna? If you get Pat's gone, all right, let's just stick with Vanna. right? You don't want to change it up too much. I mean, sometimes change can be good, but it takes getting used to, and come on. Nobody turns a letter like Vanna White. Let's continue with your calls. Let's go to Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Todd, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
2: Hey, uh, good evening, Rich. Uh, great show. Um, Thank I you. really enjoyed your, uh, your uh, inter- interview with uh, Mr. Dershowitz, and uh, I was a little intrigued that uh, you didn't see the connection between you know the left and what's being done to him with this uh, 65 group, um, yeah. the persecution of, of lawyers. I mean, uh, to me, this is the long march of communism in America starting in 1919, and this is the bitter fruit from that. You know, on, on all levels, all of this. Oh, for sure.
1: Well, I think he alluded to that on multiple occasions, saying this is you know the radical left, the far left. And, uh, and he's right. And that's I mean, the far left, uh, the radical progressive movement, whatever you want to call it, all of them have their roots. These are all communist sympathizers wrapped in new wrapping right They're They're dressed in drag, as the, the great one would say. And, uh, and lamentably, that's where we are. And you're right. And uh, while he has a negative view of McCarthy for whatever reasons he had, uh, ultimately, when, when I look back at, at Joe McCarthy, I think. Joe McCarthy was right, right? <laughs> he may have lost credibility and had issues and was censured. Uh, but all of that uh, aside, he, um, he was sounding the alarm uh, for the red scare, and rightfully so, because look at us today, and it's, it's redder than ever, Todd.
2: Yeah, and, you know, with, with the um, you know equity, environmental equity, you know, the Marxists have taken their red pentagram and simply painted it green. And uh, I think there was an author had a book called New Laws for Old. So, um, you know, it's it's astounding. And also, um, you know, the guests that you're having on—they're all victims of, of this political persecution. You know, these uh, progressive Marxists, these you know woke fascists. I mean, you know, Mayor Giuliani, Cash Patel, <laughs> Mister Dershowitz. You know, yeah. it's like every night the the lady from Eastern Europe with the, her kid in college. The kids in school, you're having so many guests on. They're being persecuted by this, um, you know, Marxism is political and cultural Satanism. And it it just kind of blows my mind sometimes. You know, I hear your guest and it's like, um, you know, it's kind of surreal. It really uh, is. David Horowitz, you know, he would be a good guest. Oh, we've had him on.
1: We had him on recently, maybe like four or five months ago.
2: Well, did she ever debate Dershowitz about the left or?
1: Cause I don't the know.
2: You know, you know, American Communist Liars
1: United. That's, so, um. <laughs> yeah, sadly, right. I mean, a once great organization that now really doesn't defend many civil liberties and and kind of turns a blind eye when a lot of them get abused. You know, where was the ACLU on on so much of the censorship that went on with with during the pandemic and, and from big tech and 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 the government itself moving forward, we've seen so much and we've learned so much. And uh, in retrospect, they did nothing. So, yeah, good point. I appreciate it. uh, Todd, excuse me, in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Excellent call. And uh, let me see. We pause here and we come back with calls from South Carolina, Maryland, and more. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez.
1: All right, let's go to Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Check in with Frank. Frank, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. As
12: fast as I can, you mentioned Joe McCarthy. Uh, Joe McCarthy was given a royalty deal. the. You've heard of the Venona tapes, I'm sure. They revealed that McCarthy was right. Harry Hopkins was right next to President Roosevelt. He was working for the commies. But there's a wonderful story by a man who was the secretary of the navy. He was a a senator from Maryland. I I forget his name now, but he told about two spies named Burgess and McLean, who were were working at the British embassy, and the uh, the the Koreans, uh, excuse me, the, the Red Chinese never would have invaded. The North Korea, if they hadn't been assured by Burgess and McLean that uh, MacArthur would not use nuclear weapons, if they thought MacArthur would have news, used nuclear weapons against the Communist Chinese, they never would have come south and defeated, uh, well, pretty us in Korea. Mac- 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 McCarthy really... Uh, was onto something, there was a man named, uh, I forget his name now, but he was the editor of the New Republic who was slamming McCarthy all the time. He was a friend of Burgess and McClain. He knew Mm. what they were doing in Korea and he let it happen.
1: Well, you know, I didn't know that story and I'm I'm glad you shared it. And what I could say is, you could say a lot of things about McCarthy and McCarthyism, but had we listened to that uh, admonition back then, today we'd be in better shape instead of you know dealing with politicians that are so incredibly sympathetic with communist ideas that it's scary. And lamentably, that's where we are, Frank. I appreciate your call. Big shout out to Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC, great station. Uh, let's continue. Let's go to Robert in Charleston, South Carolina. Go right ahead. WTMA. Hi.
8: Okay. Thank you very much for taking my call, Rich. Yes, I sir. just wanted to let you know that um, Sir, you're right about that. You're 100% right. But it's the question of how you how you fight communism, not anything else, because you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or threatened. We should do it like they do in Monaco, Monte Carlo. Monaco, Monte Carlo is probably the best protected country per square meter of any place in the world. But you rarely see a policeman and you practically never see a camera although every square meter in Monaco Monte Carlo, every you know common area meter is is, is observed. They can seal the border in a minute and 20 seconds. Nobody gets out of there in one piece if they ever steal a or, or car or something like that. They'll never get out of there because by the time they, they, they'll notice that the car is being stolen, and they'll call a, the border guard really fast and, 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 and seal it off. And the thing is, what we should do is the same thing basically. We should work very hard on quantum uh, physics and um, get way ahead when it comes to um, the use of photos- photons, both for radio-, for radio transmissions and for light, and also gravitons for the control of, of, uh, through um, gravitational force, in other words, streaming gravitons. And, and there, are other, there are other subatomic particles in the core of the atom as well. And by getting up on that stuff and being way ahead of them, I'm talking generations ahead, and not advertising it too much. Is a good thing to do. Now, if they start threatening us, then the great thing, then Donald Trump did the right thing again. The little guy said to him, yeah, I got this big red button on my desk. And if you and if you don't cooperate with me, I'll give you some trouble. So Donald Trump says, yeah, I got one on my desk, too. It's bigger and it works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good point. Uh, I'll tell you this. Look,
1: I'm not in favor of a police state, but we're there. Right. We're we're there and we're getting closer. I mean, uh, I'll tell you a quick story about. My car was parked outside my house and uh, once a week I have to move it to one side or the other for street cleaning and whatever. And um, I didn't move it fast enough. And I got a ticket. I also got a ticket for expired registration, which I thought I'd renewed. But the reason the cop knew that I, I was expired was not because he just randomly ran my plate, was because the police cars are outfitted with plate readers. And it's just another example of the, the police state is alive and well, and, and we're getting closer and closer. And if the people that push the environment, social governance movement, the ESG movement, if they get their way, we're, we're going to have even more surveillance. And that's more control for the government with the corporations. And that doesn't sound like liberty to me. Robert, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Take care, good night, and God bless. Thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Hope to speak with you all tomorrow as well. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez, and I'll be back tomorrow. Keep it locked right here. There's more programming after this.
4: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,